Welcome to episode 378 of the AMPM podcast. This week, my guest is Robert Gomez. Robert started his e-commerce journey many, many years ago selling uh, items a little that might be a little bit questionable on Amazon. But since then, he's pivoted and he's just blown up. And where he's really blown up is not on Amazon. It's in retail. That's right. He's crushing it in the retail stores of Walmart.com. He's in almost every store across the country. In this episode, he's going to be talking about how he did that and what a huge difference it's made for his business and how you should be thinking about that, too. You're going to learn quite a bit. In the meantime, enjoy this episode with Mr. Gomez. Welcome to the AMPM Podcast. Welcome to the AMPM Podcast. We explore opportunities in e-commerce. We dream big and we discover what's working right now. Plus, plus, this is the podcast where money never sleeps. Working around the clock in the AM and the PM. Are you ready for today's episode? I said, I said are, are you, you ready? Ready. Let's do this. Let's do this. Here's your host, Here's your host Kevin King. Kevin King. Welcome to the AMPM podcast, Robert Gomez. How are you doing, man? Kevin, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be on. Uh, glad to be chatting with you. Yeah, I'm uh, glad to be here. You know, we ran into each other, I think it was uh, back uh, last year at uh, the Accelerate conference in uh, Seattle. What was it like September or something like that, I think? Yeah, it's all pretty blurry now, but uh, yeah, uh, I think uh, at Accelerate is, is when we finally, you know, talked. Yes. So you, uh, I know, I know you had a pretty impressive story, and we'll get into some of that here in a minute. On, on you were telling me some things there. I was like, man, dude, you got to come on the AMPM podcast. It's some pretty, pretty cool stuff. So, how long have you actually been doing this whole e-commerce game? What, what, did you start off on Amazon, or did you start off somewhere else, or what? What's your, uh, what's your story? Yeah. So if we take just a step back, I guess uh, it goes way back to 2012. Uh, you know, at the time in college, and and. Uh, did uh, you know? Made the stupid mistake of kind of launching uh, uh, prohibited items, sort of like sourcing from China a brand that you know wasn't necessarily mine, of course, and, and uh, so that got me uh, in trouble there for a little while with Amazon. And, and so you going like DHgate or one of those websites? DHgate, can... I think it was called like TVC Mall. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we can buy stuff. like this is like some uh, beauty product, and it looks very similar, has a very similar name, or even in some cases the same name. And it turns out it's the the gray market of stuff. In out my the case, door. it was cell phone cases, and so one thing led to another. I I really was just trying an experiment. Bought like you know hundred dollars worth of cell phone cases, and by the time they came, I sold, and so got tangled up there, and just sold more. And thankfully, they caught me within a couple months. And next thing I know, I, I had a copy of a lawsuit in, in in the mail saying I had to pay this much money, or I was going to get sued within a couple. You know, within seven days, I think. This was, so the, was the the manufacturer of the phone cases. That yes, the it was uh, Otter, Otter, oh, Otter, 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 okay, Otter uh, Pour one out for them. <laughs> I hope they're not listening. Uh, it's been a decade. <laughs> yeah, you're good. You're, the, the statute of limitations, I think, is up. But you know, it's funny you say that. In twenty, you were twenty twelve. I've been selling on Amazon since two thousand one. But in twenty fifteen, I actually started doing this whole FBA model and to tr- try it out before I, I was making some of my own products and sourcing. But to try it out, I did two things. I did some arbitrage. So I went like, you know, to the dollar store and like, I want to see how this process works. Is shipping stuff in? Is Amazon all it's cracked up to be? So I was buying things like Sensodyne toothpaste or something at the dollar store and it was selling for crazy money on Amazon. But one of the other things I did is I went to DH, I went online. I, I, I didn't know every, all this stuff about the differences in Alibaba and 1686 and team. T- T-Mall and all that stuff then, but there's one called, uh, I think it's DHgate. I think it still exists. DHgate, they had this yeah, I remember DHgate. 3D, f- there's this, I went on the bestseller list on Amazon and the top 100 for beauty, there was this like 3D fiber lash mascara for uh, us guys. You probably don't even know what the heck that is. And I didn't either, but it's like selling like hotcakes and it's women put it on their, it makes their lashes bigger uh, and kind of it puts this fiber kind of stuff and like makes their lashes look bigger and more sexy, I guess. And so a lot of them like it. And it comes in two different tubes. One's a dry tube and one's like the actual liquid. And you have to mix the two. And there's a brand on there doing really well. And I found them on a version of them on DHgate. And I bought like $2,000 worth of it or something. It got shipped over by FedEx. I stuck it up on Amazon. And, and I, I think I even didn't do FBA. I just did uh, FBM. FBM. I, was yeah. selling, I remember I stuck them up one morning 
went to get some cereal and come back and I already sold like <laughs> of them. And I was like, holy cow, this Amazon thing actually works. This is pretty cool. Then I started looking at it a little bit deeper. I was like, wait a second. I didn't just buy this from the manufacturer. These are actually, these are actually uh, off market uh, or back, out the back door or fakes. And I started seeing reviews of people saying, look at the serial number, look at the UPC code or something. So I, I actually backed off of it. And I'm like, okay, enough of that. I proved that this concept works. Let me go do my own stuff. So it's interesting that you had that same story. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't put two and two together, hey, private label, you know, build a brand and that kind of thing until, of course, you know, I was suspended and, and spent years after that sort of trying to, to create an account, you know, the legit way and then just really, you know, starting from scratch. And that's a, many years kind of went by and that was 2016 when I kind of picked back up on it because um, at the time, you know, I still had a corporate job till many years after that still and, and all that. So that's what led me back, but I never gave up. I really thought, you know, like this is it, you know, I really understood e-commerce and this whole thing, you know, fairly well. I, and I just really, you know, learned my lesson there. Um, but Hey, better late than never, which was still proved to be a, a bit early. So in the very beginning, how did you find out about Amazon? In 2012, did you see somebody online, take a it class was, or see something on YouTube or something come across your Facebook or something? It was like I started on eBay and it was like selling, you know, five, ten, you know, but uh, I can't remember how exactly found about Amazon, but it was like one of those things. It, it went from eBay to quickly on Amazon. And then so like I, I, I remember putting it on Amazon and it's like, whoa like sold 15 like without even trying you know like <laughs> wow what is going on and so i maxed out my credit card so bad like at some point like you know yeah we can go into that but yeah, terrible like decisions back early early on but uh yeah that was my start so for those so you were up for a little while and then for four you, your account got suspended by amazon and you got a cease and desist from the the from otter from the Otterbox. uh and so you just like oh crap, uh, just quit. And, uh, and then what did you do those next four years? Just go back to your corporate job or were you looking for something yeah, so else to actually sell on there? I had always thought in mind of, of coming back to it or really doing that there. I'm very like entrepreneurial. So I'm always kind of tinkering there, but, uh, basically this was around the time that I was finishing. I was in college and then I finished college, went on and got an internship, um, at, at like Siemens. I, I moved around the U S every like six months and, just on the side, I started trying to do the whole real estate thing. I ended up buying a couple of properties, flipping them. This was around the time that it was kind of like a better economy to do that. But still like trying, I remember like once a year or so, I would try to like create an account and it would like get automatically suspended or whatever, you know, like back when you didn't know what was necessarily like still linking it, you know, together or whatever. So uh, it wasn't until, you know, 2016, I think that finally my account was made. And that was because... I, I think at that point I ran back into an FBA course, you know, at this point it was like FBA, I remember. And I, 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 I like, you know, found out more clearly like, okay, like let's try it again because like FBA is like being pushed like pretty hard. And so, you know, I, I you know, made an LLC and all this thing and, and finally was able to, to, you know, start that account, but I was still in my corporate job. Um, and even then switched jobs, was doing consulting, um, and so like even, you know, doing consulting, my, my main customer was Facebook. So I would be on site at, at Facebook headquarters, sort of like doing, uh, you know, I'm in finance, um, but still launching this Amazon thing on the side. Like, you know, I was so passionate about it. Anybody that, that would talk to me about it, I would talk to them about it. Like <laughs> I almost didn't care about the corporate job. It was just, you know, a, a means to obviously get through finance the thing. And then obviously, you know, um, sort of like as a backup, but like it, it wasn't necessarily about the backup. It was more like building up both things, like, you know, my credibility in both ways. So what was it about Amazon that really lured you in? What was it that made it so glamorous or sexy or got you so motivated that I don't really want to do this semen stuff for Facebook. I'd rather be do, doing this. Is it the freedom of it? Was it the, the freedom the, of it? Yeah, absolutely. To... I had, yeah. I had this thought in my mind. There was no, it was not a matter of like if or like it was just when I would be like fully you know, uh, full time into doing something that I, that I, the entrepreneur, you know, like I started even way before then selling websites and like with uh, the Photoshop tutorial, like forums and like just all these things when I was like, a you know, 10, 12, 13. And so like all that led to one thing led to another, like those weren't real business ventures. And it wasn't until 
I went into the corporate world, also saw how things were done at a, at a big, you know, at the corporate level, right? Like team structures, sort of like bigger vision. And so I, I always knew that, you know, like whatever sort of venture I went into next or whatever kind of business, in this case, it, it, it was Amazon because it just fit the lifestyle I wanted, right? Like the, that pitch that they always had, right? You can literally manage your business from anywhere in the world. Uh, basically, you're not, you, know, you don't have a boss, et cetera, et cetera. But like, you know, those things are exaggerated a bit, but like, that's truly what, you know, what, a, what attracted me to it. And uh, I always wanted to do it at the scale that was like a company you know, out of it. I, will, I didn't want this to be sort of like a side, not that there's anything wrong with it. I didn't want like a side sort of gig, like Etsy shop on, you know, something like that. Like it was like, you know, I'm going to try to do it big or, or not at all, you know? So that was 2016. How long was it before you were able to quit your corporate job? Did you have some money saved up where you could quit right away or did you have to keep working a corporate job while you got oh, your man. I didn't quit. I quit uh, one time. So I quit my consulting job uh, for like eight months or so when I thought I was going to sell my business, the Amazon FBA, when the aggregator stuff was going on, uh, probably 2021. And then uh, I got recruited by Microsoft and I ended up working there two more years up until earlier this year. I kept my job. So I. Oh, really? So, OK. Until I secured the Walmart, uh, which we can talk more into. But, uh, you know, basically I hung on. I hung out. You know, my corporate job until the very end where I had a, a team and everything for a long while prior to me quitting myself. So, so this this was a side hustle then because you're working a 40 hour week. Yeah. Then- yeah. I just never treated it like it. You know, it was more like my corporate job was my side hustle. Thankfully, I was kind of in a situation where I was, you know, I was working for Microsoft remote. My team was in Seattle. It was just like, you know, not super involved. So, you know, my full time job has been this for, for a long time, you know. Um, so it was what's so from 2016 to till 2023, you you kept your corporate job, so you had all the health benefits, you had all that that stuff that could pay the rent, and so you could basically then reinvest almost everything into growing your business, right? Yeah, absolutely, and and you know uh, just growing and and getting through the tough times that were supply chain crisis and all these things, and and just you know starting this brand, right? Because 2016, 17, I, I didn't launch with this brand. I had another brand, which I still have. It's just like one listing, very like cruise control kind of brand, but it's been sort of basically sunset. But this brand was launched in 2019. And so, yeah, that, that still allowed me to build up a team and build up, you know, a lot of like basically the, the upfront work that goes into what later amounted to, you know, this. So, but during, during COVID, uh, during the, the, High times of the aggregators. You said you had an offer from an aggregator, uh, so you actually quit your corporate job for yeah, eight months I, and focused on the, the this business. Or what happened there? Yeah, yeah. So uh, I had quit. Um, regardless, uh, I was kind of like just wanting to sort of quit. Like, I mean, that was the goal, anyways. And uh, the deals it didn't go through. You know, uh, deal didn't go through. Uh, still friends with the with the C level there at that aggregator. Um, you know very well-known name. Um, and yeah, you know, thankfully now, uh, that it didn't go through, but, uh, it was basically, yeah, a lot of factors went into it. But, uh, as you remember, you know, a lot of deals that, that would fall through based on timing, based on you know, a lot of factors there. So you were under LOI and everything. Oh yeah. Yeah. LOI, uh, maybe, you know, uh, more than a month, month and a half in, you know, to the point of, uh, Basically going back and forth on the APA, you know, the asset purchase agreement. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm very well aware of that process. And, and uh, yeah, it wasn't. So you got all your documents, you got your data warehouse and all your documents in order and everything had to go through that whole process of finding yeah. every little thing that they request that you're like, I don't have that. Where the heck? I never did that. Yeah. I'm going to go and tidy everything up. Yeah. Thankfully, my background's in, you know, finance. Uh, you know, in consulting. So I've kind of come from the, uh, yeah, the software, finance software, implementing sort of uh, accounting and and all these sort of systems. So it's what I like doing anyways, like just looking at a P&L and and sort of looking at numbers and making sure sort of the data flows through and like the, you know, the landed calls get posted correctly and all that. So they were very impressed. You know, they, they basically, like I kept hearing, for our, for our size of business, it, they had, they wouldn't run into a business that was so, you know, advanced because at, at some point in time, I had a job and 
had no employees and it was still a seven figure business. You know, it was just like so automated that it was uh, pretty uh, intense, but uh, that wasn't the goal. You know, the goal was always to kind of grow it and, and turn it into the next thing. So when that didn't work out, I kind of just focus on, on, on growing it again, you know, like basically uh, executing the roadmap. So it's now it's an eight figure business, right? We're trying, we're run rating at eight figures at the moment. And that's because we got a, a contract with, with Walmart, um, for, you know, a couple of our products that are, are at every Walmart. So when I count revenue, we're counting the wholesale sort of cost, but, uh, you know, it's, it's a very, you know, very profitable sort of side of our business now compared to, you know, Amazon where it's, you know, it's got its ups and downs. Um, but it's also a bigger kind of a moat, right? When you go into a retail store where you're like a fixture on the shelf and, you know, it's not every day that new products are coming into the shelf and stuff like that, right? So you get like weekly reorders and all that. And that's kind of been a lot to, to handle, you know, originally to, to implement it back in May. Um, but yeah, it's been, you know, uh, our first holiday season fully implemented on the uh, at 4,000 uh, Walmart locations. So there's only like, that's a total of like, that's every Walmart because there's only like 4,400 or something like that. Yes. It's every Walmart except uh, neighborhood markets. So, okay. Yeah. yeah so how did, did you, did that start uh, off with a small test of like a hundred stores or did you go straight to nationwide distribution? Yeah, we went straight to that. Um, people wow. still ask me how, how that happened, but uh, basically, yeah, we, we, you know, we got a meeting for, uh, for a coffee grinder, that was a product they were interested in. Uh, you know, flew to Benville, met with them there. Uh, you know, I showcased some of our other products, and they were interested in another product as well. Uh, you know, the storage container, and so went back and forth. I thought it would be kind of a nice learning experience. You know, like uh, try again next year. But like, hey, okay, this is really how you get into the retail source. You know, like that. That's kind of what I. I was expecting at least, you know, uh, not to get myself, you know, uh, hyped up because we had other close calls sort of with retailers, not that close, but, you know, sort of close. And so they kind of came back and said, you know, like the thing with our products is it, it's it's a mass market appeal. You know, think of a coffee grinder that's like a basic sort of coffee grinder, right? Like uh, it's not necessarily like something that will be bought more in one region than other, uh, like something that's more like really, you know, leaning one way or another. Uh, so in, in that case, I remember them asking sort of like, uh, you know, could you handle if we allocate you a large number of stores? Like I literally remember, I think I was driving or something when, when I got that. And of course, you know, the, the, the answer there is, you know, absolutely. This, this, this is what we do when we're sleeping. Um, but, <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah, I kind of knew that they were planning on, on, you know, basically putting us at, at every store. And thankfully, they trusted us with that. Um, so yeah, it's it's uh, it's nice to see right away, basically how how important of a, of a spot or a placement uh, a Walmart um, shelf is. You know. So how how did are you? Is this your company or you have partners? You said we earlier. Is it is it your company or do you have partners? Uh, it's my company. It's my okay. It's, yeah, it's I, I own I own the company. It's I say we as in you know the team I have now trying yeah. to be a good leader here. No, but. <laughs> It, I really, for at least for the very longest time, it was I, you know, and uh, a couple of folks from Upwork. Um, but you know, now I have an, an actual team. Like we're we're building something cool. But uh, yeah, that, that's that's the we uh, bootstrapped it the whole way. You know, that and uh, pouring it back into it. <laughs> that's a way to do it. And you had another source of income that that covered uh, your living expenses. That you didn't have to worry about that on the side. Um, that's, I think that's a, a thing that a lot of people, they want to, they see this Amazon business as a way to quit their job. They're like, I want to quit working for the yeah. man and do my own thing. And I know some of the most successful people in this space don't quit their job for sometimes years. And like in your case, uh, and, and continue selling, uh, continue selling and building the company before they jump in. Because a lot of people don't realize that it's a while before you can actually take a decent living. Uh, if you're in the Western society, you know, if you live in Pakistan, you know, 500 bucks a month might be all right. But if you live in the United States or Europe or most of Asia, that ain't going to, that's not going to pay for nothing barely pay for your phone bill in, in some cases. So I think a lot of people underestimate how long does it take to actually grow something and where to get to the point where you can actually take money out unless you start with a huge investment up front and, yeah. and can ride that wave then it's difficult. Like you said, you're bootstrapping it. How long did it take you to get to seven figures on Amazon? So you said the first two years was a different product line. You still have a little bit of that dabble in, but now 
yeah. the the coffee products are your big 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 thing how yeah. that started you said about 2018 2019 2019 and- so think of mid 2019 uh launched uh and that whole year that year the whole year i did maybe 500,000 or so in revenue uh com- combined with the other brand right like this cafe brand maybe did you know half of that uh, of the of the total uh, so went from 500,000 there and then obviously COVID hit. And so, uh, 2020, I did 2 million. So that was kind of the year where I went from, from that to that. And, you know, like at work and everything, and that's like running out of stock every like two, three weeks, you know, like you would ship a container in and it was just like wild times, so like easily could have done twice that, that year. But the only reason I was able to do that wasn't because of debt or anything. There's no amount of debt at that point that I could have got to buy, that much inventory right not paying up front 30 and 70 or whatever it is right like uh if you're a small business like that just starting off there's you can't get like a million dollars right like you you need about that much right like floating around and stuff to to be able to it's a huge risk so uh basically what i did was i had to negotiate really great terms with my supplier who had gone to china uh, and met already like you know uh, pre-covid as part of my mba i stayed extra and kind of met a couple suppliers but basically I negotiated 15% deposit and like the remaining balance uh, was not paid for like 60 days after the goods arrived at the U S you know, so they were arriving, selling it and I didn't have to pay them, you know, like kind of, it's like a negative sort of cash cycle there that allowed me to sort of scale to that. So without that certainly couldn't do it. And, and it, to your point, unless you have a huge investment or you have a job that was not paying you much at all, you know, in that case, you, you're not really quitting your job, right? Like anyways, you, you're just in survival mode, like with 500, a thousand or so dollars. In my case, it became a little harder and harder every time just getting paid more and more, right? Like if you're getting paid, you know, uh, probably my total comp at Microsoft was, you know, started with a two, right? Not with a one. Yeah. Uh, and so like, it's just really hard to quit that with full benefits and, you know, 401k and all these things when you're working not that many hours, right? Like you can hide sort of in a corporate job like that, right? Frankly, but that's sort of not what I wanted, uh, right? And, and as a company, you're also taking a leap of faith on like investing in a lot of things, right? Leases on warehouses, like uh, building up a team, right? Like if you want an actual company, you're gonna want actual competent folks that are paid full-time and like hopefully you're hiring in advance of like how, where you wanna be. So. All those things combined to like me holding out to basically the very last uh, you know, moment that I could. But yeah, that was the goal the whole way along is just to basically, you know, to do this on my own and to build, you know, my goal is to build something cool, you know, something that I see on the shelves, like, you know, like uh, I'm able to like sort of go into any store and like, you know, uh, I go into friends' houses and see my products or like stuff like that. And it's just like, that brings a lot more joy than like, you know, any dollar sign or whatever. So in 2020, when you hit 2 million, how many employees you had yourself and you said a couple of people off Upwork or do you have any full-time employees or just no, everybody no, part-time no. and BAs or what, what do me you have? And like, me and the equivalent of uh, two or three BAs part-time, like uh, it was very much me. So yeah. And when did just, you go to China to meet your supplier? The one that gave you the, the good time? I uh, went early 2019. So I went before you had the product or after you made the the product. So it coincided with I had my I was doing finishing up my MBA and we went as like a two week trip to China. And so I extended an extra couple of weeks to go to the Canton Fair. And then Mm -hmm. at the same time, I was already looking to launch this this coffee brand. And so I decided basically on this product uh, as I was on the trip or right before or whatever. So I had placed the PO. So I basically like was placing the PO and went to see the factory. And so, you know, he saw that it was nothing, you know, we had, that was, you know, like he took a huge risk on me because also it was the factory owner, you know, so going to China and going in person there, like eating snake and just like truly like being there with them. And like, they, they see like, you, you know, you're trying really hard to, to stand up a brand. Uh, I think that definitely paid off a lot later on. So did he give you terms on the first PO or did you have to prove yourself off a few? No, you paid? Was- it was not on the first one. Um, it wasn't on the first one. It was when this started happening. And quite frankly, I sort of bullied my way there because I had this opportunity to sell goods to home goods. So like as I was launching this brand before I ever had it on Amazon or whatever, the first sort of container was or the first shipment was coming in. And I on LinkedIn just reached out to like a home goods buyer and they're like, wow, OK, we'll try. We'll try. Give us a couple thousand. 
And I'm like, okay, I'm not going to be able to sell them because they would only buy what's available at your warehouse. So that's kind of how it started with like, hey, if you want me to kind of sell more, especially when COVID hit, that's when I was finally like, okay, you, you really need to kind of give me these terms if you want to basically more volume. And he did. And I, I remember at some point, basically back then, trusting me, you know, he trusted me with at least, you know, like half a million dollars worth of goods or payments that were due, but I had the goods, you know, like things that you would not see with another supplier, even at a much bigger scale, like uh, I'm sure you, you've seen. Well, and he probably did that because you went over there and you saw you had met him. If you had not have gone over there and met him, the yeah. chances of that happening are far less because in Chinese culture, FaceTime, face-to-face, yeah. sitting down, having a meal with him, spending some time with him uh, is crucial. And so that alone right there, probably that trip, yeah, you did your MBA, you finished your MBA stuff, but that trip made you millions of dollars just by yeah. doing, going and meeting and can't under can't underemphasize how important what, what Robert just said is, is that you need to go and meet your factory. Maybe not before you place the first order because you can't, but if you're going to continue a relationship with them, it's crucial that you either go or combine it with a Canton fair or with a EWU or something else, or just get, get over there uh, and, and actually sit down with them because it goes such a long ways. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. And you know, I would say that's the most important part of going to China nowadays is really to meet your suppliers because of course you can go to the Canton Fair, but nowadays it, you know, that's kind of like going uh, to Alibaba in person, right? Like you really see all the options, you know, you can feel them of course and all that, but really like you're saying, like meeting your supplier, goes a very long way in their culture, especially, um, you know, saving face and all these, uh, it's definitely a plus. And so that he still remembers that. And, and even now, you know, sort of coming full circle, sort of inviting him back to the U.S., you know, like saying like, hey, we want to invite you when when we, you know, when we go exhibit at the Chicago trade show next March, for example, uh, you know, we, we're we saying like you guys, you know, actually come and, and see our brand now being exhibited to buyers. Is it going to come? Retail buyers. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So it's it's kind of cool uh, getting to, to come <laughs> come back that way. So you've got in this line, you've got a few different products, right? You have a grinder and a few different products. Is it all the same manufacturer? Uh, a lot of our electric stuff is done through the same manufacturer. So grinders, uh, milk frothers, uh, and then we have uh, coffee makers. Think of a co- simple kind of coffee makers. But we have other suppliers for other things like our storage containers, uh, like coffee storage containers, um, coffee mugs and cups come from another supplier because they're glass. So in total, I have about five different suppliers. Um, for for different goods, but the bulk, uh, you know, eighty percent of our business comes from one supplier, um, which sounds like a huge huge risk, but we share that risk back and forth like a hot potato. <laughs> <laughs> so what is it? I mean, you're that's like a pretty competitive niche, coffee grinders. I mean, there's thousands yeah. of those. What is it about your product when you message a guy on LinkedIn and say, hey, and he wants it for home goods right away? Or at Walmart saying, skip all of our normal process. We're putting you in all 4,000 stores. What is it about your coffee grinder that's so amazing? What have you done to differentiate or to market it? Or what is it uh, that makes it stand out? Definitely a tough category. I mean, uh, sort of like a staple kind of high traffic, high volume category. Uh, I saw it always as like, you know, I wasn't necessarily going to focus on it being too competitive. I saw that almost as a positive. Uh, I did see the category sort of being a little stale. There's a lot of like sold by Amazon, which has made it tough, you know, a lot in the past because, you know, of the of how to compete against them. But basically a lot of legacy brands that have that don't innovate, you know, fast or they don't have necessarily all the extra little features that us coming from an Amazon world are used to sort of like keeping up with, right? Like, hey, I, I, I'm launching this product. Let me put the packaging next to it. You know, that was something I did right away, you know, from way back then. And it was like, the plan all along and it just kind of stands out in the in the listings right or hey uh, let me include a, a cleaning brush right like just simple things that you would learn how to like uh block and tackle you know in, in fba sort of courses but like that that to retailers are like okay this this brand you know um stands out and and i think like the the way the brand the the name the look and feel was always with the intent in mind of being on the shelf you know like so even when, you know, we always sold was really coffee grinders, 90% plus, 95% plus, I still sort of had a catalog of products, right? Like sort of saying like, oh, we're kind of a coffee brand. Like these are staples. We may not do well 
with all of them on Amazon, for example, but there's different channels for each, each kind of things. And, and just looking like the part sort of is what gets you in the room. And then of course, once you're in the room, like why would Walmart choose us, right? Like you're asking, why would they choose us uh, to go in the shelves? We had to take a product out, right? There was already a grinder there. Yeah. Uh, it's not like Walmart has never sold grinders. The thing is like, uh, it's pretty sort of like, uh, when you're going into retail, like there's no middleman, right? In, in my case, right? Like, you know, it's my company, it's my brand and it's between me and the buyer. You know, normally those huge brands, they have a distributor or like a wholesale sort of setup. And then, you know, they have offices in New York and then a huge team in, in Europe and all these things. Like I have none of that, you know, like Walmart could retail it lower than the one that was there before they're likely going to get it at a better cost from me because I don't have those huge overhead costs there. And for me, I'm going to make more money on it than I would have, the, you know, because, you know, I just go straight from the factory owner to them, you know, sort of. Um, so it just worked out that way where, you know, we're used to just battling a lot harder on Amazon on ad costs and, and like, you know, like just doing all these things like, you know, to make sure that we stay relevant and like, you know, you can, you can be in the top four, you know, by 9am and then by, you know, by 1pm, it's like you, you're in the top 12 and then, you know, there goes, you know, some of your revenue. So, you know, having those skill sets uh, really help at least sort of try to stand out for retail. Well, I think the name is important too. You did good branding with the name. I mean, instead of, uh, you know, I know there's other companies out there, OXO and other, other companies, but those names don't really say enough, but your name, the cafe, the way in the way it's spelled and the way it's done is actually that lent that right there gives it almost instant credibility. Like this is what I want over something yeah. else. I mean, I think that was really, really smart. So naming something is, is, is crucial and don't, don't overlook, overlook the fact of a brand name, even though if you're not known a, a word like that and the way you spelled it, you spelled it interestingly is can, instantly says something it's just like you know when some somebody else launches a um i don't know i'm just trying to think of an example here we're the netflix of uh auto repair or, or whatever i'm you know immediately you don't have to explain how is your auto repair shop different this is probably not a good example but how no, your auto repair shop is different you just like immediately plant a seed that we're the netflix everybody identifies and they know what netflix is you've kind of done that in your branding name uh as well right yeah, no, exactly. And, and it's funny because some people at times have been like, oh, wait, I, I've seen I've seen your brand, uh, you know, at Target on the shelves. You know, like, I know we're not at Target on the shelves, but like they'll say something like that where it's like, OK, it just sounded like, you know, a, a brand that you've seen on the shelves or something. And, and it means literally like coffee and, and some other languages in Europe. So it was a little tough to trademark at first. But, you know, that was kind of with the intent in mind of just like. You know, uh, you go on Amazon and you see some brands, some products that look great, right? But you see the brand names and it's like, okay, that, I can't even tell, you know, if necessarily what it is, right? I'm not even going to go into uh, sort of Chinese brands. Uh, yeah, some, you know, uh, to tell yeah, them. Some of those weird, like, brand brands better. are just made up weird, strange words just so they can easily get a trademark on them. Yeah. They, 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 yeah. Uh, no, you did a good job there. So when it comes to back on the Walmart, so when you, did you reach out to Walmart and set up the meeting in Venville or did they reach out to you or did you go through a, sp a agent or a special program? We or went how did through a broker. Uh, you know, there's many brokers that do this. We, we had brokers already in the past that they just were not successful in getting us a meeting, but you could also reach out directly, you know, like the way that I did with home goods or I, I do that myself also for other retailers. And, you know, we're in talks with other retailers as well, but it's basically reaching out to the buyer and then, you know, uh, most retailers review their lines. They call it line reviews uh, once a year or so, you know, so basically allowing them to sort of let you in the line review. So there's a lot up to chance there, right? It has to be a buyer that wants to change their shelves, right? Because as we mentioned, the shelves are filled up, right? So it has to be a buyer that's motivated to change whatever is on there. Um, either just, you know, a new buyer that's coming in to, and wants to like, you know, spice things up or, you know, it could be that you're locked out because the buyer is just sort of a lifer and doesn't want to change many things. Right. But like if they invite you, then, you know, it's a it's a matter of proving, you know, presenting why you're better than kind of what's on the shelf. You know, and I, I went through that that process of like, OK, like here's what you have on the shelf and here's how they do on Amazon or Target.com or whatever. And, and versus us. Right. Who has more views, who has the lowest BSR, like all these kind of things that I put on a chart and I just kind of 
easily presented in front of them and, and said, you know, like, give us a shot. And, you know, uh, it takes a buyer that also, you know, trusts you with that. How much of your, your success in getting in Walmart do you think was based on what you've done on Amazon? Like the reviews that you've gotten and the ratings and the, the sale. So, so that actually got their attention. Very much. In the meeting, in fact, the buyer was, had Amazon pulled up and she could, she was saying how, you know, uh, why were you at this price at certain dates or like why, you know, like, so they were very well aware of, of Amazon and, and, you know, in fact, you have to sort of guarantee EDLP, you know, everyday low price. So, you know, on Amazon, we can't go kind of competing on that specific SKU, you know, UPC uh, against the Walmart one. So very much that Amazon led to this, you know, they wouldn't have even found us. They wouldn't have uh, paid attention to us uh, if we didn't at least look and play the part on Amazon. Uh, and of course, that led to other products kind of coming in. Right. So once you're in. Their ideal situation is less vendors rather than more vendors, right? If their whole co coffee section could be covered by just, you know, four, three, four or five vendors, it's much better than every item is a different vendor, right? Because they have yeah. to onboard the new vendor. Uh, it doesn't look well on the shelves, right? It, no product looks the same. And so that's kind of our pitch to them is, is just more like, hey, we don't just, we're not like a one hit wonder. We have like the, the key sort of staple items and they all look great on the shelf, you know, and like, and better cost, better retail to you, all the things above, but like, they're also going to look better, you know, like, and you're going to deal with one vendor, you know? So that's kind of like our, our approach there. And, and certainly works, uh, like we're being listened to a lot more on like grocery stores. So think of a grocery store where in their coffee section is very much that way, where it's all different vendors. You may find a coffee grinder from here, a milk frother from over there, a French press coffee maker from there. And it all looks like just random products on the shelf, right? As opposed to, Hey, here's five to six, you know, products in a row that are, you know, like well branded and like basically all the products you had anyways, just at better prices and better costs. Um, so is, that, is is Walmart selling you on Walmart.com as a one P then? Are they? Are, yes. are you, so you're not doing three P. You're as a one P. So they're. We just have a one P account, but they those two items they do one P and the rest we still do three P. And when they run out of inventory on one P, it it falls back into our three P. So as a backup. And, and your broker, how does that work? The broker that got you in, does he just take a flat fee? Does he get a cut of every PO or how, uh, how, how does that work? Percentage of sales. So he'll okay. take roughly 3% of sales. 3% uh, of sales? So 3% yep. of every payout you get from Walmart, he's he's getting. Yep. But keep for, in mind. For how long a period of time? Know, there, there was no upfront commitment from us, right? So that's usually a pretty low percentage as well. I've seen more like 5 or 6%. But essentially forever, forever. But the, the thing is, they were going to work and do all this work. Even if they didn't get us in, they didn't get us in. But we were not going to pay anything unless they ever got us in. And we were able to execute and we got paid, you know. So it was like a lot sort of had to happen for that. Um, and, you know, gladly sort of we had the same arrangement with another broker for Target. You know, that's how we got on Target.com as 1P. But uh, it, we're only on .com. And uh, for other retailers as well, you know, like uh, sort of some that are kind of spreading a couple other uh, retailers. But yeah. So how do you deal with the financing on you get a big PO from from Walmart? Is it your factory still get, doing the financing or do you have to go out and factor invoices or, or are you in a position now where you, you've got some money and you can you can ride those ways? Because Walmart's what, net 60? That's, and then they, they don't 55. always pay on time. 55? 55 they pay on time uh, from what i see they're pretty upfront and everything has been straight up there but still you could imagine if we're always sort of tied on cash for holiday season how this holiday season was just you know even uh, even more tight because of because of walmart right and uh you know thankfully our, our supplier does honor those same terms you know so the same kind of uh 1585 sort of terms but uh, it did require extra financing, basically uh, getting extra debt, you know, temporary sort of debt. And of course, just the cash flow and stuff. But uh, yeah, certainly, at least it's something that you see moving, right? You you land a container, it goes right, almost right out, right? Like, and, and you see it sort of move at, at profitable, very predictable sort of, uh, you know, clips. So, you know, then it makes you feel a lot more comfortable and just investing at least in, into those SKUs and like the ones that they want to further bring in and stuff. So you said earlier that you were able, one of the reasons Amazon, I'm not Amazon, Walmart was willing to kick out the other guys that 
you could work with better margins. And so the other guys had too many layers of uh, bureaucracy uh, involved. So how, when you go in and sit with Walmart, do they, do they dictate the price to you? Do they, do you go in and you say, Hey, um, you know, my wholesale price is is $4 and 26 cents. Or do they say, we're going to sell this for, we're going to, we're going to sell this for eight ninety five, and we're going to pay you three twenty. Take it or leave it. Um, how, no, how does that? How does that process? How does that process work? They ask you for your costs um, for sure, and then they may even ask you to kind of sharpen your costs. You know that kind of your actual your or, true cost or your wholesale price to them. No, your wholesale price to them. When when they okay. say cost, that means uh, to them. Yeah, you never reveal sort of what what your cost is, um, but they do ask for your for your wholesale cost just because you know that's how they talk to brands. Um, but uh, yeah, it's a tricky thing because you don't want to be so far off that they were expecting uh, some hemisphere and you came in from another hemisphere, right? And at the same time, you kind of don't want to leave money on the table, right? They were willing to take it for this much, uh, but you came in right at that much. So it kind of depends where the conversation or how they started the conversation. I mean, that's just kind of negotiating one-on-one is uh, don't be the first one to talk, but... <laughs> At the same time, if they kind of ask you for costs, you kind of want to go with a little bit of room. You know, you got to keep in mind that you have a you have a broker and you have kind of these things. So uh, we went in, you know, with pretty healthy, you know, what we consider healthy. And, you know, we were asked a couple of times to sort of lower it basically. But it wasn't like we were far off. It was like you're talking about cents and stuff at that point. Uh, so thankfully it was that. I would say on the reverse side, so for another product that we're kind of going to Walmart, at some point they came to us and told us at what price they wanted to retail it, which is very different. And it's sort of key piece of info, right? Because if they tell you where they want to retail it, you can reverse engineer your way into what cost to tell them rather than going cost plus on what you got it for, right? So basically, that's something that we we did after with with another product. It wasn't like they didn't say, "Hey, come to us and, and give us your best cost on this this product." It was like, "Hey, do you have a product like this that uh, we can retail for this?" And we said, "Yes." You know, say no more. Uh, <laughs> Even though you didn't have it, you figure it out. <laughs> yeah. So they're, they're not listening. No, <laughs> it's like the Chinese way. Can you do this? Yes, yes. And then they go back and like figure out how to do it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's that's the right answer um, for sure. So, so, so on what about um, they have there's other fees. That a lot of people don't realize, too. There's like co-op fees, advertising fees, um, ret- you know, allowance for returns and stuff. How much of that do you have to factor in when you're building these costs? Yeah. So that, you know, those they'll tell you that in the negotiation. But uh Thankfully, in this case, it's like a true fixture on the shelf. We didn't have to like commit to advertising or anything like that for them to like give us that spot. Uh, it's basically you know on the shelf as part of their modular. Um, and there is a very small return and allowance fees, which is like you know very low, like less than two percent. You know when we're used to you know like a, a return allowance of like much higher than that on Amazon, right? Um, certainly nowadays. So it was kind of like that, like less than 2% for return allowances and like 1% for basically for them to come pick up the goods at your warehouse, which is gladly do it, you know, like because they schedule shipments, send the trucks and all these things. And oh, all, do you they? Do is, all you do is have the pallets ready every week and they, a truck will show up and, you know, they'll take it. And, and oh, really? Okay. You know, one, of the, one of their trucks or they partner with? One of their trucks and they do partner on some of them, but mostly it's their trucks. So yeah, we have about one or two trucks that come every week. Oh, that's cool. And they just charge 1% of the PO for that? 1%. It's amazing. Yeah. And you don't have to like call, you know, schedule an LTL or do all these things sent to Amazon, right? Like it's really like you package it, you know, label it, palletize it, and it's just there and they come, you know, pick it up. Where's your warehouse? Is your warehouse in the Atlanta area or where's your? Yeah. Yeah. So they don't care that they don't tell you we need you to have a pickup in California and a pickup here, like Amazon has you split to three different warehouses. They just come and get it in nearby yeah. Atlanta and they, they take it from there and put it through their distribution system and get it where it needs to go. Yeah. Because every week we ship out to 42 different distribution centers, but they actually come pick it up together. So they take it actually to a consolidation center. And from there they split up the 42 pallets and send okay. them to, to their distribution centers who sends them to the stores or whatever. But yeah, basically, uh, we ship every week to all their distribution centers, which is like 42. Um, 
but yeah, but it's amazing the way they just come pick it up in pallets and, and that's it, you know, don't need to arrange for that. So it makes the, the transaction and just the relationship there so much easier, right? Like you focus on like, you know, other parts of the business rather than like the, just scaling that, you know, um, and it, what took about the like getting, it took like getting a uh, PhD, you know, and like just to be able to like apply the labels correctly and like <laughs> all these things. And quite frankly, that's why I hadn't even quit my job because I was still like nervous leading up to it. You know, we were, we were supposed to deliver, you know, like I think like 75,000 units or something like next week or something. And I didn't know how to label them necessarily because they gave you about three or four days that you have to like label everything and send it out. So I, I'm still thinking, who knows? I'm going to send these 75,000 units. A truck is going to come pick them up, but they're going to be lost somewhere in the Walmart network world and they're not going to make it to the stores, you know? And of course that's not what happened, but like they were literally like, we didn't label them correctly. They didn't apply fees and stuff like that. But like there were parts where it took a while, like the way we automate labels now and all that, like I, it was just coming at like a fire hose. Like I couldn't drink from it fast enough. And it was just like, you know, we did what we could, but now, you know, we got it down pat. A lot of people don't realize like when you're dealing with these big wholesalers that the labels have to be in a certain spot on the box, like a quarter inch off of the bottom left or what a quarter inch off the bottom. Uh, and, facing this way and uh, there's all these rules and a lot of them will penalize you they'll take deductions if you put it in, uh, in, in, in the wrong place and there's so, certain retailers that are known more for that like they take almost advantage of the, of the vendors yeah. in that way uh, walmart like really makes it known like what they want like the standards and all that they give you all these booklets so, like it's a matter of like really sort of like going through it and your carton has to be a certain way certain markings like your box you have to have certificates like all these things that had to go on like at such a time timeline for us to hit that that uh, go live of, of May, you know. So when it comes to let's let's look at a little bit of math here. So wh- how much do you sell this item for? What's the retail price for? Like say the grinder. Uh, we retail at twenty four ninety nine. It's like the MSRP, and so at any time on Amazon, it's anywhere from twenty to twenty five. You know, in that in that range. Okay, so um, if it's let's call it twenty bucks. It's twenty bucks on Amazon. Yep. Amazon's taking fifteen percent, so they're taking three dollars off of it. Yeah. Uh, and then they're taking the fulfillment cost, which I don't know how much this was. Five eighty or five sixty or in the so, so roughly nine dollars right there. So yeah. now you're down to eleven dollars left over. What's your landing cost roughly? Uh six to seven. So seven dollar landing cost. So for every one you sell on Amazon without PPC, without storage fees, without any of the other um fees, it's, it's roughly a four dollar in this example. I mean, this is not exact yeah. stuff, but yeah. this example it's four dollars. Uh, so at what then what do you when you sell it to Walmart, what do they sell it for in the stores? They sell it for seventeen eighty eight. So, so seventeen eighty eight in the stores. How what's the your wholesale price to them? They get it roughly for uh mid elevens. Mid elevens. So you're making about the same four dollars. Yes, clear. Roughly. Free and clear. Free and clear Free with, and clear with, with no, no, no nothing PPC, else. maybe the one percent. That's after the one percent for picking it up and everything, and the three percent to uh, to your broker. All that's already out. So yeah. you're you're making about four bucks. So you're making almost the exact same money with no hassle of hijackers, no hassle of PPC, no hassle of what's the latest trick and hack to get this yeah. in. Which one of those sells more per month? Walmart, Unit. still, of course. Yeah. Walmart, Walmart, so Walmart, Walmart sells. Do, yeah, Walmart will do. Uh, on on the slow months I just passed uh, 30,000 units uh, a month at least of that grinder. We have two products. The other one doesn't sell as well. It sells, you know, maybe like a fourth of that. But we're talking about just the grinder here. Uh, yeah, we sold uh, 30,000 units of it. So uh, thirty thousand units through Walmart in a, in a slow month before the holidays kicked in, yeah. and then what would that same month on Amazon be? It would be uh, eight to ten thousand units. Eight to ten thousand units, and out of that four dollars, you're having. You, I'm assuming you're probably doing some PPC and some other stuff, of right? Of course, PPC. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, yeah. So, so basically, the lesson here is Amazon. Without Amazon, you wouldn't. You you said it earlier. You would would have never been in Walmart uh, because you wouldn't have had that history and the reviews and the show how you're different. But the real money is not on Amazon. The real money is in Walmart. It's in retail. Yeah, unless you're retail. And that's a, that's a lesson that a lot of people. I think can't get their head around is that they're like, I'd rather go. Most people don't realize that yet as big as Amazon is and as great as Amazon is something like 80, 
5% or whatever the number is these days of all sales still happen in retail. Yeah. Uh, they, they, people want to go down, they need a coffee grinder now. They don't want to wait till tomorrow to get it from Amazon or four hours or six hours. They, they want it now. They want to touch it. They want to feel it. They want to open it up. They want to see what it looks like. Um, and then there's a lot of people that just, they don't have credit cards. They don't shop online. They don't trust it. Um, so I think there's a big lesson there is that use that everybody, Amazon's still an amazing opportunity and it's a great place to launch and to prove out something. But once you've proven that, do your damnedest to get into retail. So are you in Walmart? You said you're also with a couple products in Target now, right? Well, we've sold for a while now. Target.com, Macy's.com, Home Depot.com, like QVC, like all the dot-coms. You know, the goal, uh, we were just throwing darts, making sure our brand could be basically everywhere in, in stores. But basically, they all told us do the dot-com sort of thing, right? Those were just easier to, to do. But uh, yeah, that was the goal. It's always to get into into retail. Um, so any sort of vendor relationship is much better than than three P in our eyes. Um, and so any sort of partnership there, with, you know, it's kind of stuff that I've, I've been working on for a while. Yeah. So once you get into Walmart, that's the granddaddy of them all. That basically everybody else then follows falls in line. So when you call somebody else and they're like, "Oh yeah, we'll take you're in Walmart. Okay, we'll take it." It's almost like a justifier, right? Like like you've made it to the cool kids club. Yeah, we're seeing a lot more uh people accepting our samples. <laughs> <sort of thing. laughs> um yeah, yeah. Uh and 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 the the key thing is like for example, Target, we had a buyer there that's been there for 12 years, doesn't want to change anything because she goes by whatever market share reports, right? They, she doesn't care what you do on Amazon sort of thing, right? Like uh and so now we're showing on the market share reports as a number one grinder in all of retail. Literally throughout all retail, our grinder sells almost three times more than the second place, KitchenAid and these these brands that you've heard of, right? Uh, so we stick out now, right? Like because of that Walmart placement being the intro offer there. But they, you know, they start basically answering more uh, because of, of that, like uh, you know, basically the success there or like knowing that we were able to execute on that level, right? Like that kind of like to them says says something as well. So what's the biggest pain? I mean, it is there is the what's the biggest issue with going going from the mindset of Amazon to the mindset of wholesale? Is it you have to do a lot more documentation and prove that it's child safety and meets all these regulations that you might not have had to do on Amazon, or is it uh, is it filling out setting setting up on the what they call it, the ERM the EDM system or uh, ERP systems or whatever it's called? Yeah, the what, what is the what that's is, tough. That's tough. But it's just equally as tough to sell like on target.com, you know, because you're a vendor and you had to do all these things anyway. So we've been doing these kind of onboarding things for a long while. Um, and so like the documentation really from basically you need certification on your products, but you should kind of have them already for Amazon. So like if you're selling already sort of a high volume item on Amazon, it's likely you already had that or your factory already had that. So it's not even that. It's just like basically being able to to execute and making sure you manage your catalog so that it doesn't conflict with your Amazon, right? If you had a, a one product sort of uh, catalog and then you sold it on Walmart, it's going to mess up your buy box. Similar how it did to us, you have to sort of look at the, you know, the SKU mix or like sort of launch it as a different variation or something like that. But um, it's just sort of structuring your catalog and roadmap so that it fits a retailer and it fits your online thing. Because you need Amazon sort of, even if it's like a branding exercise where you're just there, people see the brand or whatever, but like you need to be there uh, at the very least. Do you use the same UPC across all channels or do you have a specific UPC? We do, for, yeah. Do you yeah. use the same? Do you use, uh, are you in uh, like tra Amazon's transparency program or that's not an issue really? No, it's not. It's not really an issue. We're, they can't necessarily get it too, too much cheaper to make a profit on Amazon. So we don't necessarily run into that, that problem. Are you hoping to go international with this or uh, is there any yeah, talk of Walmart I, so, taking you uh, to other, to Mexico or to other marketplaces? Or? No, not there, but we're starting with the low hanging fruit of just literally like, you know, Amazon, Mexico, Canada, and, and then Europe on the FBA side, um, just because we can kind of offer our suppliers ready for that as well. Um, so just the low hanging fruit, but we really have so many retailers here in the U S that it's kind of like, uh, we're just attacking that full force because like, it doesn't have to take a Walmart. So like if Walmart takes one product at 4,000 stores, it's the same as like Publix taking four or five products with their thousand stores, right? So which they're likely to do because they want kind of like that selection like we were talking about, right? So it's really like a lot can happen. Uh, and it's just like products we already have. So it's a matter of like, okay, here you go. We'll ship them out on a weekly basis, like fairly simple. Um, so we really want to just exploit that, that retail strategy there.
Do you have your own warehouse now or are you still using 3PL? No, yeah, I've, I've had my own. Um, it's uh, only 7,200 square feet total now. Um, so we make, we, we make do with what we've got, uh, truly maximize it. How many people are working for you now? Uh, we have about 12 full-time people and seven agencies that we use for various, various things. Um, yeah. So, so like PP, PPC like, and all that kind of stuff is job. PPC, out yeah. Production management for Walmart actually in China. I use an agency now. Uh, they handle basically my contact with the factory, uh, PR agency, uh, they did very well for us. Email marketing. Yeah. Those kind of uh, things rather than having employees, you know, sometimes we feel the agency relationship works a lot better. And sometimes, you know, like our executive team now, uh, is basically just, you know, that our full time and we consider that like, you know, the core, um, so yeah, and then of course contractors. I use a lot of contractors when containers are arriving and loading and loading. I don't I don't count as a, a, as employees. Um, it's just you know kind of daily workers. So from five hundred thousand dollars in twenty eighteen to two million dollars in twenty twenty, what's twenty twenty three roughly? We'll do likely uh, seven and a half, um, but we're run rating to do maybe ten to twelve in the next twelve months. Uh, so so. So now I bet uh, one of those aggregators that turned you down before might be uh, if, if they if they still have any money left to invest, they may be like, man, we missed out on one here. <laughs> well, they're very close friends. Uh, just say that they're, they're pretty close friends. Uh, we still keep in touch uh, and everything. So, so are you looking to sell then at some point? Are you building this to sell or are you just, you're just enjoying running uh, it for a while and see where it goes? Or do you hope to? Take take some money I don't off the to table. Sell to to the same kind of buyer that would have bought in twenty twenty one. Let's just say that. Um, but you know, it is the type of business that you got to get to profitability, and like we're profitable, so that's great. You know, you just want to be profitable and see what happens because you you have a lot more leverage. Um, but at the same time, I know that when we hit certain thresholds, like you know the eight figure or like the you know mid seven figure sort of profitable uh, sort of business, you get a sort of different buyer, sort of a PE buyer potentially inject money. And sort of like really try to blow it up, um, or you know. So if Kitchen A, line, if Kitchen A comes to you and says we want to buy you for uh, twenty five million, you might listen. I may listen. That's right. That's the sort of buyer. <laughs> um, but they better hurry up before it goes up. <laughs> hurry up while the, the the price is good because it's going up, right? <laughs> uh, that's right. <laughs> Cool, man. Well, Robert, it's, uh, it's been a, a pleasure speaking with you. And uh, this, uh, thanks for sharing your, your journey, your story here. Hopefully it's inspired some people that uh, they need to wake up and and take another look at retail and and, and see what they can do there because there's tremendous opportunity in, in that space. Yeah, absolutely. Glad to, to help or, or consult, advise some folks uh, as well. But uh, yeah, I do this. You know, I'm passionate to be doing this. Uh, and I feel like any day that I get to do this and not, not the corporate world is, uh, you know, living out my dream. So awesome. I, I agree with you. So if people want to follow you or learn more or see the story, what's the, uh, best way for them to, to do that if they want to get in touch with you? Yeah, just directly LinkedIn, Robert Gomez, you know, just go directly in the DMS and that's where all the business transactions and, and things go down. Uh, <laughs> the LinkedIn DMS, uh, gladly. Awesome. And is it okay to say the name of the company or you rather keep that? Yeah, no, the, the name of my brand is Cafe, K-A-F-F-E. So cafeproducts.com uh, or amazon.com slash cafe. Uh, yeah, um, the, the holding company is 4Q Brands because we have a couple of brands. But yeah, that's, that's the name of the brand. Awesome. Well, Robert, thanks again for coming on. Sweet. Thanks, Kevin. Nice talking to you. As we all know, Walmart's a great opportunity, but there's a lot bigger opportunities out there as well, especially if you can get into retail. Retail is still something like 78 to 84% of all sales, depends on who whose study you're looking at. And as Robert has shown us, getting into all the Walmart stores is just a major, major boom for his business. So hopefully you've got some insights and you learned a little bit of things from Robert. We'll be back again next week with another awesome episode. Also, don't forget, if you haven't yet, sign up for my newsletter. It's free every Monday and Thursday. BillionDollarSellers.com is the website. BillionDollarSellers.com. You don't want to miss it. It's like a $25,000 mastermind in your inbox twice a week. And don't forget, the virtual Billion Dollar Seller Summit is coming up February 20th to the 22nd. 
That's right, online. You can do it from anywhere in the world. February 20th to the 22nd. Information's at BillionDollarSellerSummit.com. BillionDollarSellerSummit.com. Brand new website's coming out in a couple weeks, so don't miss that. They'll have all the speakers and I have all the information for you, so hopefully you can join us. And before we go, I've got some words of wisdom for you. The fastest way to get to where you want is to follow in the footsteps of someone who has done it before. The fastest way to get to where you want is to follow in the footsteps of someone who has done it before. See you again next week.